Hello, everybody. My name is TJ Hensley, and you're listening to Appalachian Firesides. Hey everybody, welcome back to Appalachian Firesides and a very special welcome for our third season. I started this podcast a little under a year ago and I didn't know anything. I didn't know the first thing about recording audio, certainly not the first thing about editing audio, and definitely not the first thing about publishing a podcast on all of the different streaming sites that you can find it. And yet here we are. Over the past year, I've changed some of the things about how I record the show when I publish. Uh, I've changed a couple of different things, uh, but I hope that you guys have enjoyed it so far. And I have to tell you, I've enjoyed it. I Every time I invite somebody to be a guest on the show, every time I think of a new idea for a different kind of episode, uh, it brings me joy. And the reason is because what I want this podcast to be, what I wanted it to be from the very beginning I think that I've been able to meet that goal. And what do I mean by that? From the beginning, I wanted this to be a way to amplify voices, a way to talk about important issues, and a way to show authenticity. I wanted to be authentic about who I am, what I believe, why I believe it. I wanted to give my guests a chance to be authentic about themselves, about why they believe what they believe. And I wanted this to be a way to show an authentic portrait of a region that I love, a region that I call home, a region that many other people call home. And I think that I've at least somewhat been able to do that. And I hope that I've been able to be authentic and show authenticity for you all, because ultimately you guys are the reason that I do this, uh, to help us understand each other a little bit more in a time where often I think that a lot of people don't take the extra time, the extra steps to understand each other. And so I hope that you guys have enjoyed the podcast. I hope that you enjoy it going forward. Certainly I have places where I need to improve, places where I can grow, and I hope that you will just continue to be along on this journey with me. I can't express fully how much I appreciate each and every one of you, whether you listen regularly, whether this is your first time listening, whether you follow on social media, whether you just give me words of encouragement in person. uh, Each of you are so special to me, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And so I hope that you guys are excited for Season 3. I think you'll enjoy it. I have a few ideas as to who to invite on the show, different episodes to publish, so I think that you guys will enjoy that. I finally finished with the LSAT. Uh, I appreciate your uh, thoughts, prayers, uh, well wishes, and any kind of encouragement. I really do appreciate it. Regardless of what the score is, I think I gave it my best shot, so I can be proud of that. Now, joining me on the podcast this week for the first episode of Season 3 is a familiar, 
I almost said a familiar face, but a familiar voice would be more appropriate way to say that for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while. I'm joined by my very good friend, Andrew Simpson, or Andy. This week, he and I had a great conversation about almost everything. We discuss uh, gun policy in the United States and the debate over how to address gun violence. We discuss UFOs. We discuss uh, our alternative career paths that we envisioned for ourselves when we were kids. We talk about great classic movies that we feel are underrated. We discuss a little bit of everything for this episode, so there's something to enjoy no matter what your interests are. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode, this conversation with Andy. I hope that you'll enjoy Season 3. Thank you guys so much for continuing to tune in and to support the podcast in whatever way that you do. I really appreciate each and every one of you very much. And without further ado, let's get into it. And we're, well, we're not live, but we are recording with the great and powerful, is, should I say your full name, or do you want to remain known by just the, the, the moniker? Uh, you give my full name. All right. I'm joined by the great and powerful Andrew B. Simpson. Welcome once again, friend of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So what's new? What's been going on with you? Uh, nothing. I've been keeping myself busy, taking summer classes, um, working on my uh, self-employed, self-started business with my friends. Right. Nutrition thing we have going on. So we're trying to make that work so I can avoid getting a real job. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's the way to go. Um, I'm sure you'll be successful in it. Is it, uh, um the two that well the one that we know mutually and um the other it is a different group it is solely the mutual friend that are that i have with our mutual friend so i gotcha yeah i know that's exciting that's awesome yeah we got our first client yesterday ah that's great so uh can you talk about like exactly what it is or is it still in the nascent stages where you don't really want to say much or it's not registered with the state, but I doubt they'll come after me if I say anything about it. Um, it's a uh, we're working together. It's called Beautifully Balanced. It's I do the personal training part, and she does the nutrition. So it's just a a wellness type thing we have going on. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. What have you been up to? Uh, well, I started working at the courthouse um, again last week, and I worked the Pokes Out Festival the week before that. And it was, um, that was like the most tired I've been in my life. I didn't get home the, the last day of the festival till like 5.30 or 4.30 and didn't go to bed till five. And uh, uh, I took that week off afterwards to study for the LSAT and took that on the- Study for the big test. Big test and still- uh, well, at the time of recording this, uh, a week from tomorrow is when I'll know my score. But by the time this is published, it'll be next Monday. So just two days, two days before I know. But the dread will be, I don't know if the dread and the anxiety will be worse by then or better. Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I'm very, very hopeful. I am too. I, I think I'd, I gave it my best shot. So that's all I can do. And, uh, yeah. you know, whatever happens, happens. If not, you can take up uh, announcing amateur wrestling. Um, exactly. Just like you did. Oh, 
another thing I wanted to I wanted to mention uh, I'd read I'm reading like a few books all at once so I can because I'm a slow reader so if I just take it one at a time I won't get anything done yeah. but I just finished The Grapes of Wrath and I was telling Matt about it mm-hmm. Matt Roddy I love it because it's so tinged with like radical quote unquote radical but like worker oriented like left-wing politics Steinbeck was like a huge Roosevelt fan and he he shows like two camps of unemployed and unhoused people in the book and the one that's like privately run is dilapidated and everybody's sick and starving and everything but then he shows a new deal camp run by the WPA or the resettlement administration one of the two and like everybody's happy and they have dances all night and everybody eats good and everything so I'm um, I was really pleased with that However, it is definitely the saddest book I've ever read in my life. Like I was bereaved by the time I finished. And, you know, I know it's about the Great Depression, but at the same time, like, yeah. come on. I need to, I need to look into that. I've been meaning to. It's really good. Uh, East of Eden, Mice and Men, or Grapes of Wrath are his three most well-known. I think Grapes of Wrath is the most political, like overtly political of the three. But I've heard, you know. People have told me that all three of them are good. I'll have to read the other two sometime, but Grapes of Wrath, I recommend it. I recommend anybody read it, especially you, because I know that we kind of have that overlapping of interests and you yeah. know, things like that. Yeah, I uh, haven't read it a lot lately. I uh, I skimmed over Fear and Loathing at the, at the beach because I had a friend that yeah. um, was with me that I wanted to give that book to them for them to check out because I thought they might like it. Yeah. Like anybody who reads it would like it, but it's the matter of getting people to read. Right. And I uh, had skimmed over 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea because that was one of the first books I read. And I was just thinking about that because I was at the ocean. Right. And uh, the ocean in the in the dominion of uh, Ron DeSantis last week. Our old nemesis. Yeah, that's who he uh, spoke so fondly of last time I was on the show. Right, right. And in the same breath that we talked about the fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. I was thinking about that today, kind of just to segue into uh, what I wanted to talk to you about, or one of the things I want to talk to you about. So, uh, you know, he's up for re-election this year, DeSantis, and the Democratic primary, either of the two front runners I would be comfortable with, you know, one of them is the ag commissioner. She's a younger candidate. She's the only statewide Democrat elected. And then the other is He's a congressman, but used to be governor. And when he was governor of Florida, he was a Republican and he switched from Republican to independent to Democratic. And he'll probably win the primary. Most polls that I've seen show him pretty well ahead of her. I saw a general election poll out today that had Charlie Crist as the the one who's the, the former governor congressman running is probably going to win the Democratic primary. The poll that I saw had him one point ahead of DeSantis, which, you know, is really close, you know, within the margin, but in a swing state like Florida, that that could actually be the the decider. I think DeSantis only won by like half a percentage point four years ago. So uh, it's possible that he could be dethroned. That would be lovely. Yeah. But what made me pause and think about it was that, you know, he just not long ago established an, an election police force. I'm pretty sure they're, you know, meant to look into quote unquote irregularities, but I think that they report to the state government. So whatever the state government may deem to be an irregularity, the election police could look into. So if he does end up losing to one of these candidates by a percentage point, I wouldn't put it past him to say that he might say, oh, we've 
seen irregularities and I'm sending this new election police force at my disposal to look into this. So I'll just stay in office for a little bit until we resolve this. Yeah, that seems to be the move when you uh, lose an election. Yeah. As of recently. Did you have you seen anything about the the Texas GOP platform that they just announced? I've been I haven't been keeping up with a lot of that. I've been hiding for two years. I don't blame you. Um, the more that you look into it, the the more um, sad you get at how much yeah. it's deter- deteriorating. Yeah, uh, the closer I get to uh, breaking into a fit of rage and hysterics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It um, could happen at any time. But the state party adopted a new platform. And within it, they, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it. I read this, the excerpts I read were from an NPR article. So there we go. Maintaining my, maintaining my credibility that I'm not, you know, beholden to the, the mainstream media, quote unquote. Um, Okay. So this is the opening of this NPR article. Uh, President Biden is the quote acting president because he didn't win legally. Texans should vote on seceding and the voting rights act of 1965 should be repealed. Any gun control is a rights violation, uh, and there were some others, but those are like the top, you know, mentions at the top of this article. But here's here's an actual quote: "We reject the certified results of the 2020 presidential election, and we hold that the acting president, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., was not legitimately elected by the people of the United States." I actually do remember seeing something about that today. I just scrolled past it and I was like, "No." Yeah, and, uh, it's um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I've been meaning to go and read the actual um, you know, document that they voted on, but I, I'm, I'm certain that if I go right to the source of it, I'll just be so despondent that I'll melt like that guy on uh, sky high into the in just a puddle. I have a conniption fit. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. it's uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Sound off on it. I think it. it's bad. Yeah, just broadly speaking, I think it's bad. No, I agree. It's um, but they 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 better not. <laughs> yeah, they they better not. Well, another part of it was that um, can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. No, as the the superior governor Bashir would say. Yeah, they think that Texas should secede. I just can't remember how they wanted to do that. I think they want a referendum to be held in the state. Which I think has happened, like, well, not happened, but I think a lot of people over the past, like, decade or so have been calling for that in Texas. But I don't know. If any state were to do it, it would probably be Texas, you know, just Texas or it'd be Florida or Florida. Yeah. It, I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's sad that it's gotten to that point. I, <laughs> this is why every person in the country should be required to have a class with Ms. Fryer at some point. Yeah. To stop them from turning into, you know. If it came down to it, though, Texas and Florida would be the easiest, theoretically speaking, the easiest states to saw off of the map. That that is quite true. Yeah. That so there's, true. there's the bright side. <laughs> right there, there's the bright side, and we could we could um, pull in all of those old forty-eight state flags from the forties. Yeah. If yeah. If they, yeah. If they do secede, we can easily cut them out of contiguous. 48. Right, right. Yeah. I'll get to work. You'll you'll get to work. I'll start in Georgia. Yeah. (laughs) Just uh, have have a team of people um, sawing in unison until (laughs) like 
until Florida jettisons off as its own island and until Texas is like, yeah, no, and, no, kick it. Like you remember that you remember that episode of Avatar where it shows um, Kiyoshi like, like splitting the island up. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Yeah, yeah, that's what you'll do. So that's my that's my opening bit. What's your what's your opening bit? What do you want to talk about? Uh, I don't have anything. Don't have I'm anything. Just wing it like we did last time. Uh, that worked. That worked just fine. Mm-hmm. Let's see. What is there to talk about? Oh yeah, I was on my vacation last week. Yeah. I uh, I was uh, I had to find a gym, and the closest one I could find was still a pretty good drive away. So I had to journey through some of the more rural parts of uh, Florida, and I got so deep that um, you know those souvenir shops, you know, the yeah, conservative, you know, liberal tier shirts and stuff. Right. Like that. I got so deep in Florida, I was seeing pro-war propaganda can't remember if i told told you that or not but you yeah, mentioned that you saw that said like give war a chance yeah oh my, oh my god you didn't yeah you mentioned that you that you were knee deep in war propaganda but you didn't um, <laughs> you didn't say any of the particulars but i mean they they said give war a chance give war a chance oh my god and i was like what is, what is that? <laughs> all of this is so like this bent towards I don't know the best way to describe. I guess the best way to describe it would be that like violence is becoming more and more acceptable as a means of getting out a message of some kind, whether it's like domestically, like getting out a domestic political message or like an international message, like being more interventionist and imperialist. And it's, it's really scary, especially like when you know the history behind those kinds of, you know, feelings before um in the country it's 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 really unsettling <laughs> to yeah, say the least yeah. crazy. i mean yeah. i can look at the other shirts and be like it's funny but not that one not so much of that one no i almost bought it i almost bought one of those shirts that said something like i don't know fuel my truck with liberal tears or something <laughs> but it was and, overpriced the souvenir shops they were price gouging of course yes following suit um following suit right following suit oh um uh, yeah, i thought of gas and oil companies exactly i was gonna i was yeah right that, well that was another thing i was gonna uh, get your thoughts on this happened this wasn't recent it happened a couple of weeks ago maybe but it was a bill voted on by the house to stop price oil. gouging yeah by, yeah about oil and gasoline companies and hardly anybody voted for it yep um, no Republicans voted for it, and four Democrats voted against it. That's insane. I know it's 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 um, it it just goes to show that I don't want to speak to I don't want to paint with broad brushes, but it 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 seems to me that when they do things like that, especially the Republicans, because in theory, if you are a uh, if you're in an, an elected position, right, and you're in the party that's currently the minority party that's out of power, they are, you know, they don't have the Senate, White House, or the House. It seems to me like it would be advantageous for you not to want gas prices to go down at least until the election. Like if they stay up at least until the election, then you have something to run on. And so as long as yeah. you keep that, you know, you'll vote against the bill to stop price gouging, which is a big source, I think, of why. Prices are so. I mean, I've been sharing a bunch of stuff like that tweet from John Fetterman and the post from Charles Booker today about how the last time that a barrel of oil cost as much as it does now, 
gas was like $3 and something a gallon, which is still, you know, high more than I'd like yeah. to pay for it, but it's not five and six and seven and $8 a gallon. Like it is in some, some places. And, you know, I think a lot of this is just a lot of it's price gouging. And a lot of it is, I think oil and the gas companies wanting to keep the pressure, political pressure on yeah. Biden to revamp more pumping and drilling for oil and gas. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they've been doing that forever. They'll do it to anyone that they're scared might push some kind of conservation to green energy movement. Oh, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah exactly. do that forever. Yeah, the, the malefactors of great wealth, as TR called them so aptly. Yeah. It's almost like if you have a political incentive to keep gas prices high, you'll stop them from potentially being lowered. Crazy, yeah. right? I mean, do you see where, um, on average, I think the... Um, in the past few months or whatever, um, I can't remember where I read this from, but the uh, profits of the average profits of oil and gasoline companies have um, increased by three hundred percent. Right. Yeah, which um, I don't think would happen had inflation be the sole reason to blame for all these prices or any kind of politician. Or right. Anything like that it would be possible for it to, I mean, stay constant at one hundred, probably a lot lower than that. Yeah. No, I, I think, right. No, I, I see what you mean. And, you know, it's, it's so frustrating too, because, you know, when you, when you see people who are suffering because of the fact that gas is $5 a gallon and the price of uh, food and, you know, a lot of other things are going up so much. And it's, it's so enraging when, when you understand that a lot of that has to do with companies that are just trying to with big corporations that are just trying to, you know, pad their, to, to line their pockets. And even more so when the, the fact that people are suffering is being weaponized as a political tool to win elections instead of being harnessed as a reason to do something about it. Instead of, you know, people from both sides of the aisle coming together and recognizing that, you know, everyday Americans are suffering because of high prices. Instead of them saying, let's put aside our differences and work together to make things easier for working people in all of God. What was that? That that was me hitting my boom arm. <laughs> okay. Articulating. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put my arm away. Um it was so loud on my <laughs> that, that was uh <laughs> that that was uh that was um they took a shot at me. They, they overheard the conversation <laughs> They're They're coming for me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's frustrating when you, when you see that instead of people from both sides, you know, in places of government, putting aside their differences to work out some agreement, you know, some kind of policy to lower prices that they would rather weaponize it as a political tool to help their side win elections, as opposed yeah. to actually solving it. It's like, Perpetuating the problem just keeps giving them something to run on, which is just one of the many, many, many issues with our politics at the moment, which is is just so great, right? Yeah, it's lovely. At least we can agree on UFOs for now or whatever happened a month ago or whenever that was. Right, the hearings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you watch those? No, I didn't. I've been I've been meaning to, to go back and watch them. Have you? I watch like highlights and yeah. every time I press up to something exciting, we're going to have to move this to the private hearing. So we didn't get a lot out of it. Yeah. What, but what it's, were, it's a start. Right. It's a start. What were, yeah. from what you saw, what was the most memorable or striking instance of, of uh, er, uh, scene from, from those hearings? I don't know. It was just interesting seeing um, 
it be acknowledged and people these high profile people being like yeah i have no idea what that is right like we we don't know yeah yeah it's kind of scary having someone just be like hey we don't know especially when there's so much you know secrecy surrounding it like when you think of when you think of area 51 um or when you think of just what they may know in general like i always thought of it as they they must know everything but they don't want to tell us all of it because because we'll freak out and go outside and start <laughs> i was listening to a podcast about this yesterday um and it, 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 there's a theory that the government knows everything there is to know about ufo's and alien life and alien technology and their past visits to earth like ancient aliens type stuff but that they don't tell us all of it because and this is what this was the words of the person that was i was listening to on this podcast they said the theory is that if they tell us everything, we'll become so freaked out that we'll immediately go outside and start lighting things on fire. That's exactly <laughs> what would happen. Right. But I mean, from what, from what it sounds like, it sounds like they don't know everything. And, that, and like you said, that is more terrifying. Yeah. Have you heard, you know who uh, Bob Lazar is? I've heard the name. Yeah. Has he been on JRE before? Yeah. He yeah. was a, uh, yeah, he was a guy who worked for like a subdivision of Area 51. Yeah. He said he saw aliens. And apparently he's, there's been like attempts on his life and threats and stuff. Oh and scared God. for him and his family still right. after all these years. I don't know. You know who is a huge, huge UFO buff? Who? Dan Aykroyd. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, he, was on, he was on JRE. And you know how they'll put clips of of like not the whole episode, but certain longer segments on yeah. YouTube. His, they talked about more than UFOs, but his conversation in which they talked about UFOs and aliens was, I think like 30 or 45 minutes long. <laughs> and, oh, of course it was. Right. And Dan Aykroyd knows all of these sightings and instances and cases right off the top of his head and the dates and the, the specifics of the case. And it's it's so cool when someone like famous like that, like as an actor, as a comedian, is so interested in this thing that you don't think of celebrities being interested in. It's like, um, you know, it, it's cool. It's cool to think about him leading a double life as a ufologist. Interesting. Yeah. I wanted to when I was younger, I always wanted to, I don't know, Google something about aliens or UFOs once a day and see if I got any strange visits <laughs> or phone calls. Never ended up doing it. Right. I'll just leave it. I'll leave it to other people. And they're well. There's they still they've still got their eye on you. You know they're going to be listening to this to this episode to see to see what you know from all your your days of googling and you're watching the the fact that you said you watched the hearings. They'll they'll show up and say uh, we'd like to talk to you. Oh, yeah, they're tuned in right now. Yeah, my frequency. They're actually the third participant on the Zoom meeting. No. <laughs> yeah. Participants three. <laughs> That, that's one thing that it, it gives me when, when I when I'm so despondent about thinking, you know, I'm thinking about the state of, you know, our politics, the state of international affairs with, you know, the war in Ukraine and the fact that Russia may invade the rest of Europe. Um, I think about I think about the fact that, you know, there probably is alien life out there. So that, you know, that that gives me comfort, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, there must be. Right. Well, I was talking to Toby about aliens and he was arguing with me because he said he said there um uh what I can't remember what he said but he specifically but he he looks he looks down on me for believing in UFOs and aliens. 
Kobe. <laughs> but but no he way. said but he said he believes in Bigfoot. No, aliens are a lot more exciting. <laughs> I I told him that we, you and I, and your dad found Bigfoot one time. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. And I showed him I showed him that picture, and for a second he was in awe, but then realized it was a statue and got really upset with me. Yeah. Yeah. We won't tell him that we actually met him that day. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He opened the park. <laughs> yeah, he opened the park. Uh, he, opened it. he opened the gate. He opened the gate. Yeah, he showed us how to write in this thing called uh, flag language. <laughs> yeah. No, I really don't know what that is though, because it wasn't. It was like symbols and stuff. It it must have been really old, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it may have been. I don't know much about the history of indigenous communities in that particular part of Virginia, but I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if it were some kind of writing from, from a group like that. You know, it's, um, it's hard to say, but it'll, it'll forever be a mystery. I hope if, if we find out what it is, I'll be kind of disappointed. Like that, that awe and that mystery is gone. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have 10 minutes. minutes left. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like we've been talking for that long. No. Yeah. How what's the time limit? usually I, I think it's 40 minutes per meeting 40 minutes? are you are you pressed for time oh no i, I can go however long you want to you want to carry you want to carry it over a little bit and you want to start a, after that timer runs out you want to yeah we'll start another one we'll talk until we have plenty of material for plenty you of content yeah yeah and just, yeah we'll do that my 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 end goal is to one day get all of the groups <laughs> together right because this mic it, you can set it to a, a, a pickup pattern where it picks up everything around it. So we could all, we could sit it in the middle of the table and just talk. Let's do that. Next time. Uh, we need to plan some kind of uh, get together soon over the summer. We'll yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, pick, we'll find a space. If your house is free or something like that, or Garrett's right. patio. We could. You know, you know, it'd be cool if we could find like a clearing out in the holler and just put this and it'd be great if there was like a clearing with a single huge stump in the middle that's been like a tree stump. And we put this in the middle and we just sit and talk. And then, you know, eventually we find the the entity that that yeah, whistles at us. The, you know, hear all the nature and the spirits. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. And we find the the thing that whistled at us and it says, I've been I've been looking for you all for a while. <laughs> Uh, you guys have grown up. <laughs> I bet I, I meant to ask you: Have you gotten a chance to listen to any of the more recent episodes I put out? Uh, no, I have not. That's okay. I was no, that's fine. I was curious as to what your thoughts were on the um the intro music and, and uh, segment I put together. I am sure I will love it. Uh, I will check. I will check that out. Okay. I'll, what I'll tell you, um, I found a piece of bluegrass, like instrumental bluegrass um, uh, with uh, like an open license off of the YouTube audio library. Mm-hmm. And I interlaced that with the part from FDR's speech where he says, I pledge a new deal for the American people. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I've been slacking on my reading and my podcast listening. That's okay. You've been turning my, turning my brain to mush. Why is my camera so dark? No, you're oh. good. 
not nah, you're not turning your brain to mush. You're you're um you're right where you need to be. I'll say that. There we go. Working on it. Right. He's still working on me. <laughs> He's still working on me. That's right. Uh, that's that's your that sounds like something your dad would say. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about guns. Let's talk about guns. Sure. Oh, um, the deal that they reached on gun legislation—they've put it into um, a tech text now, like as a way to bring it to a vote. So that'll be interesting. That will be interesting. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Thoughts on, I think, firearms should be subject to reasonable regulations. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know. It's a hard thing to uh, find a solution to, I guess. I don't think less regulation is the solution. Put it right. That way. Like uh, I've heard so often recently. Right. Like the saying, any gun law is unconstitutional, which is blatantly not true. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said a few days ago, eventually we're going to have to have weapons where we have to draw a line. Right. Eventually no, some some maniac's going to start um, making nuclear fission shotguns and <laughs> biological weapons. Right. There's still going to be some nuts that are like, uh, no, no, right to bear arms shall not be infringed. <laughs> when we can have some guy in Harlan County that could instantly vaporize everyone in a one mile radius. Right. And like, no, you should have the right to do that. Yeah. When, when they, when they said well-regulated, they didn't mean that. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, there, there's gotta be some form of reasonable restrictions that a majority, if not a majority, at least, uh, you know, a plurality of people would agree to, you know, so, uh, the words, well-regulated are in the second amendment. And so it's not like it gives you a license to own any kind of gun that you want with no kind of limit on where you can carry it or, or, or how you can use it or things like that. You know, I don't, I don't know a single person who would be okay with the average Joe operating a piece of military hardware, like a tank or, or a, a military grade helicopter or something like that. You know, it's like you said, reasonable restrictions are possible. But it's just a matter of finding what what that is, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe when we try something, and it doesn't work. We don't see any change, but I don't think it means it was never worth the try. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you know people's lives are are in danger. When you have kids who are afraid to go to school, people who are afraid to go and worship. Um, you know, at, at some point, you have to act to in in their well being, and, and to the point where you know it, you have to admit that okay, this solution may not work but like you said we at least have to try if not for any other re- if not for the fact that you know it could save lives oh yeah like we have these cities you know, people call blue cities with these really strict gun laws and they say crime's still bad but you can't tell me that if we were to take away those gun regulations things wouldn't get so much worse exactly i think you're i think you're right you know it's i would i would venture to say that in instances like that where you have Places like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, bigger cities that are you know predominantly run by by Democrats, the argument often goes that even with the strict um, gun regulations and places like that, the crime rate is still high. Yeah, you know, which which you can't realize that it could be worse. Exactly. And these exactly. cities are so densely populated. It's something we could take into account, but. I, I would guess that a majority of the gun problems in places like that are due to 
you know, things like what's the right like gun trafficking and yeah, organized ways crime. of ways of organized crime, right? Ways of getting guns that are outside the law. And you know, you have to acknowledge that that is a problem, but you know, there are ways to address that as well. Helping to solve the problem of gun violence isn't something where you can only have one solution, right? Where yeah, that fits uh, every community, like because something that works in Harlan is not going to be something that works in you know a different place like like New York or Chicago. And you know, you definitely want to make sure that people are able to uh, exercise their their rights. But yeah. it's it's like it's the conversation we've been having over the past two years. You know. We'll, the exercising of rights comes with certain responsibilities and among those responsibilities are ones that you have to other people. So that has to be a part of the conversation, regardless of where you start from. Like there's, there's gotta be that consideration of, you know, we certainly want people to be able to exercise their second amendment rights, but they have to recognize that there are some responsibilities that come with that. Yeah. And you see all these other countries that have these models that they use um, for gun control. And even when taken you know, you could say the United States is so much more densely populated, so much more people. But even when you look at it in proportion to the population, it's just not even comparable to what we see here, which it's crazy. It's happening like every other day now. Right. It's, well, it's like that, um, that Onion article. What's the title of it again? You remember? remember. It's like um, uh, there's no way to stop this, uh, says the country where oh, yeah. the only country where this regularly <laughs> happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's like when when Cruz got upset at that reporter from the BBC about saying, why is this part of American exceptionalism so bad? And, you know, what he was meaning by that, I presume, is, you know, there is a lot of talk about American exceptionalism, how America is apart from, you know, other countries, the United States is. And, you know, in this instance, it's it's true that we're exceptional in the sense that we have a massive problem with gun violence that, you know, isn't seen in any comparable industrialized country and then you know cruz like the 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 uh, i don't know the the what's the word i'm looking for trying to think of it i'm trying to think of a non-expletive word to describe (laughs) it cruz like the doorknobs but but cruz just takes that and says oh i'm sorry you think american exceptional is bad is bad so that he can avoid answering the question because because he takes money from you know the big gun the ultra wealthy gun lobbies who give him millions of dollars to make sure that you know they can keep their business model going yeah that's i don't know well you mentioned um how we stack up to other countries when it comes to outcomes and and uh gun regulations and the outcomes that those regulations produce and you know you think of new zealand after the uh, christchurch mosque shooting uh yeah. jacinda arden the prime minister was very adamant about restricting the types of guns that people could own you know assault weapons and things like that and they had i think they had a buyback program i, I haven't brushed up on this even though i should have but uh they implemented measures to make sure that you know that that there were limits on the kinds of weapons that people could own especially the kind that was used in that shooting and it's been successful and what made me think of that was how i saw that uh i I can't remember if it was her social media account or her party's social media account in new zealand that shared an infographic that listed new zealand um the us the uk and one or two others 
of the percentage of the of the debt to GDP ratio, right? Yeah. And ours is like 95% and New Zealand's is 20%. And even though they have, you know, a, even though they have a really low debt, they have things like universal health care and all of these other programs that people have been advocating for recently in the U.S., to which the response often from people who don't think we should have those are, oh, well, it's going to cost too much and our debt is already so high. Why, why add to the debt? Whereas like, you know, it's, it's, if every, if everybody else does it and is able to, you know, kind of keep their debt under control, why can't we, you know? Not that we're trying to keep our debt under control. No, we're not. But back to what you were saying about New Zealand, I don't even think that if you take what's going on over there or what they've decided to implement, you hold that next to our constitution. I don't think they're infringing their rights in any way. I think one person's rights start to be limited only when they start to infringe on someone else's. And that's absolutely yeah. What's happening with guns as of recently. And same thing with guns, same thing with masks, same reason you have to wear underwear when you go to Walmart. Right. It's all the same. same. Right. It's all the same. It's all part of the same conversation. That's right. Um no, you're right. I was reading um there was an article in Politico when the idea was that there would be a case before the Supreme Court soon about the constitutional constitutionality, I think is the right word, of any kind of vaccine mandate. And in the article, the author points to a case from the late 1800s, I think, of a man who refused to get the smallpox vaccine on religious grounds. And, you know, at the time that this article was published, a lot of people were saying that any kind of vaccine mandate could be struck down for religious reasons. But the, the the point of this article was that it was looking at this case and the chief justice at the time was uh, John Marshall Harlan. He wasn't from Harlan, but he was from Kentucky. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and part of his opinion was, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it went something like the exercise of rights comes with it, a manifold duty to take into consideration the well-being of others. And this was over uh, a vaccine to, to smallpox, which was definitely, well, I don't want to say definitely, I'm not an expert or anything, but more virulent and definitely, and I would say more deadly than COVID. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so it, it really is that same idea of your exercising of rights coming with responsibilities that you have to take in, that you have to take seriously for the well-being of those around you. Um, and it really is all part of the, com- the same conversation, like you were saying. Yeah, I don't know. I do like the uh, the contrast we have going on here with our screens. Yeah. My, my, I don't know my background is so light. My face is dark, but you look like you're sitting in space. <laughs> actually, I am. <laughs> I'm actually with the UFOs that, that you were Googling when you were a kid. I see them in, in the background. Yeah. Um, as a, oh, um I can't, no, I can't reach it from here and you can't see it, but the, the dresser in my room where my record player is, I don't know if I've shown it to you, but there's a a toy of the iron giant that Toby got me for my birthday. I can't remember if he did or not, but I love that movie so much. And when you press, when you press, uh, you can open up his chest and it shows like the big green, like laser that he shoots out at the end of the movie. And there's a switch that you can flip on the back that makes him uh, walk. It's pre- it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. <laughs> that, that is a good movie. I um I guess we can make that our 
we get let's make that the the classic but sometimes underappreciated movie that we discussed for this episode we'll make that a running theme of our yeah. conversations together talking about it the underappreciated movie number exactly two, the iron giant yeah so so give your thoughts on the iron giant it's a really good movie and it makes me cry it made me cry in the past i don't know if it made me cry now probably would just because of the whole nostalgia and how moving it is right no, I'm I'm in complete agreement. I I did watch it recently, and I I did tear up a little bit at the end. I can't help it. Um, but it, it it is a good movie, like you were saying. It has it has a really you know when I think back of movies like The Iron Giant and shows like Avatar with the the anti-war anti-imperialist yeah. message. And, and anti-war then, owl. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think. And I guess that I guess that's how we ended up how we were. We watched all of these. <laughs> I think so. The 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 sub the subtones of these movies and TV shows. But um, I saw a post not long ago that said Guardians of the Galaxy was not the first role that Vin Diesel had in which he played a character with a single line of dialogue that a- absolutely destroyed me. Need I remind you? And it shows the graphic of him saying Superman. <laughs> yeah, that, that kills me every time. Do you remember my my little toaster? I do remember my little toaster. That uh, that is a very anti-imperialist, anti-fascist movie, actually. Uh, that and uh, Wally. Oh yeah, I think Wally really influenced me as a child. Right, especially now when you see how we're getting closer to like um, the Facebook Metaverse thing, where you can have your own avatar in the yeah, VR headset. That's exactly how it is in Wally. Yeah, it's. So scary. Yeah. Also, another good movie from my childhood, Brother Bear. I was hoping you would you would bring that up. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So good. The music is amazing. Phil Collins can do no wrong. Yeah, Phil it. Collins in the little cartoon movies. Yeah. Small, probably small production budget. Right. Well, not small, but it was all spent on Phil Collins, probably. Right. So good. Especially oh. Tarzan. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that's his son of man. On oh my god, that's uh, so good in two worlds. That's an underappreciated tune in that movie. I, th- I think that movie is pretty well established, but that that song is one part of it that I think is glossed over too much. Yeah, sometimes I'll just be on a drive and I roll my windows down and I'll play that song. Yeah, and I'm just floating, not on earth. No, exactly, uh, and that's the. Well, Brother Bear is definitely an underappreciated movie, I would think. Oh yeah, and I love I'm to watch that again. You have you have Disney Plus, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's on probably on there. Yeah, yeah, it's it. on there. I watched it with Toby last year, and by the end of it, he was he was crying, and I thought, well, he's learned he's learned a good lesson. Yeah, everybody should watch this movie when they're when they're a child. That's what I meant to do, is because the old. Kind of what I talked about earlier. The old Twenty Thousand Leagues movie is on. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what got me into uh, part of what got me into reading. I watched that when I was super young, and um, Ripley's Aquarium. I remember going there when I was little, and they have this big quote on the wall, which is right um, by Jules Verne. Jules Verne. It's like the ocean is a vast reservoir of nature. Um, Life began with it, so to speak. Uh, Who's to say it will not end with it? That was the caption on my Instagram post the other day. Right. I reading that on the wall is kind of what made me want to get into the actual book that it came from. That's kind of what started me. Right. Being interested in books. Do you think in an, in another life, if you could 
Well, and with, with the tractor on you, you, you probably could make this a reality at some point, but if you were in a different field of study, something completely separate from studying the ocean, studying the geography of the ocean, do you think that that could be something that in another, in another life you, you would take on as a career? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Cause when I was younger, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted yeah. to be an oceanographer. When I was super young, I wanted to be a whale. And I learned that wasn't possible. And I wanted right. to either be a marine biologist or oceanographer. And there was this movie. There were a bunch of movies that I watched about the ocean. I remember there was this one movie called Nim's Island. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, I loved that movie when I was younger. And her Nim's dad was an oceanographer. And she lived on this island with all these animals. I was like, this seems awesome. Yeah. When I and I always forced my parents to take me to the aquarium as often as I could. Right. Ocean's always, I don't know, been fascinating to me. Well, it, 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 rightfully so, because, you know, we, we know there's that old adage that, I mean, it's still true that we know less about the deep ocean than we know about deep space, right? At this point. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's one of those things that even if it's not true, I've heard it repeated so <laughs> yeah. much that it might as well be true. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll find some happy ground and be the Elon Musk of the ocean. <laughs> right, right. Uh, deep, a really efficient submarine. Yeah. Uh, the, Naut- the Nautilus. Yeah, yeah, the Nautilus. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved, I also loved the 20,000 Leagues movie when I was a kid. And it made me want to, there's this, I don't know if I've ever shown it to you, but there's this old metal uh, rowboat behind the barn at my grandparents' house Mm -hmm. that I took, um, well, I say I, but it was actually my, my papa, papa, no, um, (laughs) we, we took a bunch of, um, I think they were, you know, those shutters, those window shutters that are like two planks that you close. Uh We took a bunch of those that they had just taken out of their house and we made like a canopy over the boat. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, it's a submarine now. And, and, and I wanted, I wanted to patch up the bottom of it to take it out to Martin's fork. And, and, you know, I was thinking that I would be real like living in 20,000 leagues under the sea, which you know, thank God I didn't try to take it underwater. Cause I totally would have drowned. We could just uh, flip it upside down. <laughs> yeah. And then I made, I took, I took a PVC pipe and a couple of like cheap, <laughs> mirrors and made a periscope and and affixed it to the top of that canopy and was looking through it and i thought well it's done take me out of the water <laughs> yeah that, that, those kinds of movies and that that whole like adventure feeling like the indiana jones type. what yeah. i said i miss it because i don't feel it anymore now that i grew up right well i was growing up right yeah it's 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 not it's, it's I not revisit all those like I revisit those books and those movies and I just feel forlorn right yeah. right and like nostalgic in a way that like there's there's sometimes I think when you feel nostalgic but you have ways of reliving of capturing that nostalgia again but you know sometimes it's not it's yeah, not it's doable and, it, and it's so sad like stuff from the early 2000s that you can barely remember from your childhood right I guess it's sad uh, and because um, I, I always wanted to be uh, like the TikTok thing going around now, like I hope that in if the multiverse is real, I hope that in one of them, I'm, you know, such and such or whatever. Yeah. I, my other life path that I wanted to do for a while was go into archaeology and Egyptology and actually be 
like Indiana Jones. That would be really cool. And I remember, you know, planning it out and, um, you know, that, that feeling of when I was a kid of, Oh, I'm going to go and find El Dorado or, or, or Atlantis or something that, that is a feeling that I, that I miss. Cause you know, it's, it's like, like you said, it's, it's, you can't, you're forlorn because you can't really fully relive it. Yeah. I'm like, is there even anything left to do? Right. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, we could perhaps, um, here, here's my idea. If for whatever reason, our respective career paths don't turn out the way that we're, um, that we, that we've always, that we've foreseen them turning out, we could just go on some kind of expedition and adventure and find, you know, a great, we, we could be like, uh, uh, it could be national treasure three. Right. And we, we have to, we have to decode something in the constitution to find, you know, $10 billion in treasure. And then we're set for life. And we don't have to worry about school or, or, or life or anything like that. Yeah. We find Atlantis or something. Yeah. And we, we find Atlantis and it's just the characters from the Disney movie living there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good movie too. That's another good one. Yeah. Did they make two of those? I think they did. And so yeah. the second one, the second one is pretty bad. Yeah. Like, I, thought, I, said, I don't think I like the second one, but no, the first one, First one's a masterpiece. Yeah. And the you second seen, uh, have you ever seen Prince of Egypt? Yes, that is that's a really good movie. Fantastic. I love that's it. Like, yeah, that's a really good movie. I read this article. It's um it was being produced at the same time that Shrek was by the same studio. And I heard um that um any of the employees or people who was working on Prince of Egypt if they messed up or did something bad or subpar as a punishment, they got sent over to work on Shrek. Oh my God. So those were being made like side, side by side. <laughs> Just interesting. That, that is really interesting. Um, I remember uh, we, we watched the Prince of Egypt in one of um, it wasn't, it wasn't the, um, the history class that we had together sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. it wasn't that when it was in middle school but we watched the prince of egypt there and then i would always watch it as like the movie day at sun at sunday school or something uh so that was that's another staple of the childhood yeah it's a good movie i never liked the uh shrek movies you never liked them no no i like the second one but all the others i, I don't really care for no i think no i think i don't i just i don't know i just didn't like it never took to it never took the shrek or spongebob <laughs> yeah i always gravitated towards discovery channel which right i got excited when they release new documentaries especially the one about finding or the first footage of the giant squid oh yeah yeah that oh i remember that that was kind of down the days it was in 2006 i think yeah oh my god i was so excited for that well um you know the bringing us back to the underwater worlds theme um the second back here huh we just keep coming back right right the second atlantis movie was actually they were they were going to take the the use atlantis as the basis for a tv show Mm -hmm. but they couldn't that deal fell through and so they had already worked on three or four episodes and they had all of this footage and the, or, uh, like, you know, the artwork and the voice acting work for these episodes and they didn't want it to go to waste. So they mashed them all together 
to create the second movie, which is why it feels so choppy. Which and, is exactly why it is what it is. is exactly why. Right. <laughs> but yeah. No, it's it, it's it's pretty bad. If if uh, if you haven't seen either of the Atlantis movies, there's just one Atlantis movie, Atlantis: The Lost Empire. That's it. There is no other. That is a good movie. You gotta check it out. Um. Oh, and have you seen the Road to El Dorado? No, I haven't. You you need to watch that one. You you would like yeah. that one. Um, it, where can I watch it? Edward. Oh, it's not on Disney Plus because I I'll think it's it offline. Right. Yeah, you can find it somewhere. But it's um, it's it's like a a musical animated adventure movie. Like it's got its serious moments, but it's got music and lighthearted stuff in it too. And I was reading an article that those that Atlantis and El Dorado were being made at the same time, and they had original. I think the same. Some of the same people were involved. El Dorado, I don't think, is a Disney movie. I think it's a DreamWorks movie, and DreamWorks like was working with the same animators at Disney, maybe. I don't know. But they were connected somehow. But the idea was that they would make The Road to El Dorado a serious movie like Atlantis is, and then make Atlantis into a lighthearted musical movie, which, you know, like, considering how both of those movies are the way they are right now, like in, in like their reverse, I think they made a good decision in not doing that so I, I think you'll agree when you watch el dorado but uh that's just an interesting thing about those two interesting yeah have you made any uh concrete decision on what you're going to title this episode is it going to be so boxing with old friends oh no that was just a title for the for the zoom meeting oh, i thought um i actually i don't have one off the top of my head usually it's presented but itself by now but w- what are your thoughts i don't know Maybe you should title it something like the real reason you have to wear <laughs> wear it to Walmart. Andrew's uh, real reason you have to wear underwear to Walmart or whatever I said. Or maybe uh, maybe do this: um, uh, guns, masks, and underwear, and then a colon, and then it's all the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. that. All right. Well, Andy, as always, uh, pleasure having you on um i'm sure you'll hopefully next time you join it'll be in person surrounded by the wilderness of eastern kentucky yeah um but uh thanks for thanks for joining once again you have anything you'd like to say to close out uh no i don't cool all right well uh i will talk to you next time Well, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and continuing to support the podcast. I really do appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to follow the podcast on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search at App Firesides, A-P-P Firesides, just how it sounds. And if you're enjoying that music that you're listening to, that is a piece called In the Sweet By and By by a great artist named Zachariah Hickman. And you can find him on YouTube. He has a channel with great music and some other cool stuff on there. Be sure to check him out. And be sure also to join us next time on Appalachian Firesides. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, love your neighbor, and do good things. Catch you guys next time.